After a game full of goals, controversy, tensions flaring and not enough VAR angles, Marco Rudan sure didn't hold back in his post-game presser going public with long-held complaints about the treatment of his football club. Our reporter Paletti was in the room asking all of the tough questions. On the field, it was a Jermaine hat-trick that propelled MacArthur to another win on Sunday night. The Perth Glory renaissance rolls on with a win over City, whilst the victory concede another inevitable late equaliser, this time against the Jets. The Mariners are really good again, the Phoenix let one slip in Brisbane, and the Sky Blues make the trip to Tassie on this episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast presented by The Inner Sanctum. My name is Lachlan Oval, and joining me today for your A-League men's review is Jacob Stevens. Hello to you. Hello, Lockie. It's good to be doing it with a, a Wi-Fi connection that hasn't cut out yet. It's brilliant. You're incredibly smooth for the first 30 <laughs> seconds today, so hopefully that's a sign of what to come. And Tonus Paganus, welcome to you. Thanks for having me back. And I'll just start by saying that there is an absolute stigma attached to my podcast, and I'm here to address it. <laughs> <laughs> Which podcast are you talking about? Plural. <laughs> and of course, our, our hard-hitting investigative journalist uh, themselves, Paletti, hello. Yes, asking all the tough questions, such as when is Brenda Morella going to be back from his injury? Who, who'd have thought? And that, that was that was the most pressing topic going into yesterday's press conference <laughs> with Marco Rudan. One of, of course, two questions. <laughs> uh, well, it was more like half a question because, like, the the, the question that set him off is, you, you generic, how do you feel about the game? So we don't really, can you even consider that a question? So for those of you listening who perhaps haven't listened to the entire press conference and maybe just seen some of the quotes, Marco Rudan walks into the room with the journalist post-game and before they even sit down, he's talking about, I'm going to give you some box office stuff. Don't worry, I'm going to answer all your questions. You're going to get lots of material. Don't worry about it. And he's just waiting for the one question that he can unload. And eventually he gets it for, and he goes for about six minutes. But right before, Paletti gets the first question and they go, so uh, Brandon Brillo was in the extended squad. Was he going to play next week? <laughs> <laughs> Jake, if you could just see the look on his face, like, uh, yes, next week. <laughs> it's it's uh, so funny. It's so funny. Like, yeah, he's come in with this idea of just going on a massive rant and getting everything off his chest, and then Paletti throws that curveball at him. Uh, perfect. Sometimes you just perfect. have to deflate the balloon a little bit. Paletti, I for one am very much looking forward to watching Brandon Borrello play next week, and I'm glad that my nerves have been settled that I know he'll be on the field. <laughs> Well, probably could have used him in Qatar, but that's neither here nor there. Well, that's the funny side of it. And there was a couple of serious topics uh, that Rudan brought up in his post-game presser. Obviously, the game on Sunday night was full of controversy. The Jermaine red, no, the non-red card, I should say, the red card that was issued to Tom Beedling. And then the last goal uh, in injury time, was it over the line? Was it not? VAR not having a good enough look at it to overturn the linesman's decision. There was plenty going on. And uh, Paletti, I'll let you take it from here. Um, when Rudan did come in and he decided to speak his mind, he sure didn't hold back. No, he absolutely did not hold back. And uh, I was chatting with someone about this. It's like, geez, you, you guys all um, they use guys as in the general term, keeping a straight face. And I'm just like, I don't know about everyone else, but like I was like stunned silent. Like I don't think I could have mustered two words together even if I wanted to, like I was like, you know, typing tweets up to, to put out. And then I'm like, 
oh, no, he's just said another five things. So get rid of that and then type up again. And it's like, oh, there's another two things. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to leave this until he's done. Look, I, I, I just don't know what to make of it all. Like, he's clearly, he's clearly got an agenda against someone. And Tonus, the line that you you made fun of at the beginning, you know, is the one that Rudan opened with. He said, "This there is a stigma, absolute stigma, attached to my football club." He obviously didn't agree with a lot of the refereeing decisions, and we could argue about them if we wanted to. But he obviously feels that there is a longer term trend here, and argues that you know his team doesn't get the benefit of the doubt in some decisions where perhaps others might. Do you think there's any truth to that? <laughs> no. <laughs> like I, I, what my issue is as well again i'm going to just go and talk about beadling's red card because can we agree that it was a red card i agree yeah yeah, yeah 100 he was, a was red trying card. to argue about like other stuff that's happened in the past but it's it's a red card let's the referees don't think oh three weeks ago this happened i reckon i'm gonna give him a red they look at what's happened it's a red card full stop it's a red card i agree with him on german should have been sent off Quick, quick poll, quick poll around. Jermaine, red I card. I say send off. No, mm. I'm saying red card. Yeah, it's, I, I lean towards red. Yeah, well, that's. And we've got the line thing in the end. They did it cross the line. We don't have the conclusive angles. I thought it didn't. I don't know about you. I agree with you. Yep. Gut feel. It's hard to know for sure. I mean, I thought it crossed live and. I didn't see a replay with enough evidence to convince me otherwise. i, I got to stick with the referees on this one. I think we've got to get Robbie Slater on the case, don't we? No, no. <laughs> we can't keep saying this every time. The joke's yeah. dead now. <laughs> My thing is, all right, there's two, you can argue, bad decisions. I'm sorry, he doesn't have it out for you. Seriously. And we have seen other situations as well. Um, it rings in my mind last year with Sean Evans against the Mariners to awful decisions in a game. You know, Monty was upset, Sergio were upset, but they didn't go out and say, they will name drop the referee and say they've got a campaign against me. We don't know he, he's got something against me personally. I feel that's too far. You can go out there and say those were awful decisions and you're going to get the vast majority of the support of the fan base and the outer. But then when you start talking about conspiracies and stigmas and stuff like that and bringing in nationalities and stuff like that and going so far away from what the topic is which is just two arguably bad calls you lose a lot of people that would be on your side to begin with that's my view at least number two if you feel there is a stigma and personally i don't feel there is i just feel there's two bad calls and other clubs cop it as well if you do feel there's a stigma i reckon that some suggest to look in the mirror and consider how much of that you're causing yourself. Because let's face it, Marco Rudan does not do himself many favours in that department, which I'm sure he will accept. But yeah, let's face it, when you talk about stigmas like that, you're not helping yourself out. But again, my point is, that's a bit much. The way I see it is he's trying to rally his players, he's trying to rally his supporters and, you know, it's just clear mind game stuff. We've seen managers like Mourinho and stuff like that do it in the past. It it feels like that to me. And I don't know if you saw people were saying stuff like his players were swapping shirts and he made them swap them back and saying, we don't want them, we don't want them. It feels like real siege mentality 101. You, you raise an interesting point and he probably did lose a lot of people with that speech. But Jacob, perhaps the people that he lost weren't the target audience. You know, you... 
you know these quotes are going to come back to the players and the staff and the fans in particular who from what I see online have you know almost unanimously back him up the Wanderers have almost thrived whether it's um, this stigma that uh, Rudan is referring to or it's this as Antonio says this siege mentality of it's us against everyone else kind of what we saw um, coming out of the Socceroos camp and Graham Arden in recent weeks as well when you have that kind of group, that's what the uh, Wanderers have thrived on in, in recent times. We're different to everybody else. We're going to celebrate that and we're going to be strong together and go try play good football against the others. Yeah, I think it's an attempt to try and galvanise that section of the fan base. Um, you know, obviously the Wanderers came into the league and the big thing for them is we are different to Sydney FC. Like, And that was a big selling point for them and that's why they were so successful to begin with. Uh, off the field and I think that what Rudan's trying to do is is trying to bring that sort of mentality back to the club and back to the supporters but like Antonis mentioned I think think he's gone a little bit too far with it Um, it, it's it's almost sounded like the sort of stuff the sort of dribble you read online from people who hide behind fake names on Twitter or whatever you know like it it just was complete incoherent rambling at times and it, it if I was a Wanderers fan, I wouldn't be going, oh, I'm proud that that's my head coach, <laughs> you know? Like, it's, it would have made me go, oh, has this guy fully lost the plot? You know, I know I'm, I'm not a Wanderers fan, so I don't speak for them, but personally, that's what I would have seen from it. And, I, I, yeah, I think it's just – I think he took it a step too far. There's there's galvanising support and, and trying to create this, yeah, us versus them. But, yeah, yeah, he's gone too far. Paletti, there's one point where I think Rudan does have a valid argument. And when the Wanderers came into this came into the league, they showed a kind of active support that hadn't really been seen. Maybe my Melbourne Victory fans in patches, but Western Sydney definitely brought something different and a new kind of atmosphere to being in the crowd at A-League games. And they've gotten a little bit of trouble. And uh, perhaps the perception of Western Sydney is that, you know, they're the, they're the bad supporters and they do naughty things and they get away with it or, or they get in trouble or whatever. Does perhaps, does that kind of impression left on fans or perhaps referees like uh, Rudan is referring to, does that bleed into the on-field or does it stay strictly off it? I think it stays off it. I mean, uh, look, it, the Wanderers fans are definitely stereotyped, but so is the entirety of Western Sydney. I mean, look, I live in Western Sydney or southwestern Sydney. I live in the MacArthur area. But, you know, I still live in an area that is stigmatised as part of Western Sydney. And, look, I play into the joke sometimes as well. And there's people that I talk to on a regular basis who I know don't like that because I think I'm feeding into the narrative. But, like, if I can't punch down on myself, who can punch? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's the sort of thing where it's like, I'm from here. I get to make these jokes. You're not. You don't get to make them sort of vibe you know, because you don't live here. And so I think it's just, I think there's a lot of just stereotypes that play into it. But at the end of the day, you know, the Wanderers fans haven't always helped themselves, right? Just like a lot of fan bases in the league haven't helped themselves when it comes to this sort of stuff. And so I think there's that kind of like more of a league-wide problem. Like every team has been basically bleeding fans for the last five years. Right, like before COVID, attendances were starting to trend in a downward direction. I, if memory serves me correctly, like this is not a, just a Western Sydney problem; it's an A-League problem. And uh, for me, if Rudan really did have 
a genuine problem with these decisions as opposed to trying to, you know, rally the troops behind him, essentially. There's practices and processes in place in which he could have expressed those concerns away from the camera, away from the hot microphone, where he could have actually gone about this the right way instead of giving six minutes of content. One, one last point I want to make on this, and Antonis, I'll come to you with it. We often cry out in Australian football for personalities and people to show themselves and you know to give us things to talk about even in terms of football because not a lot does. Regardless of whether you agree with him, if, Antonis, if you think he's right or wrong, it, it's good that Marco Rudan is actually, in my opinion, at least I know Pelletti disagrees, to say what he's feeling and, you know, as he said when he walked in, put some life into the league. Yeah, look, and you can do that. You can absolutely do that. And you can do that without going out there and saying, that referee's got it out for me and there's a stigma and a conspiracy against us, you know? And look, two things can be true at once. Yes, the West is stigmatized and not just in Western Sydney, all around the show, all around the world, there is stereotypes about places, about people, about areas. But at the same time, I don't think the VAR, the referee, sees a bad tackle and says, hmm, you know what? I'm going to give it to this dirty Westies right now. I don't think that goes through their head. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it, They're professionals, you know? It's not something that they do. And look, I come from those places that Mark Rudan, Marco Rudan's talking about. I grew up in Greece. And let me tell you, people there are very passionate. People there are stigmatized. There are clubs that are seen as the rich. Clubs are seen as the poor. There's the north and the south. Everyone gets screwed, you know? Everyone suffers from bad decisions. No problems. Everyone's going to cry foul. And look, those leagues are not dying from a lack of characters, trust me. And everyone cries out about it. And Nothing happens, you know. A bad decision is a bad decision at the end of the day. You can call it whatever you want, but it won't do anything else. And again, I do like the character. I do like say what you believe. But yeah, once you start crossing the line and take, making it personal, it's, I start feeling uneasy about it. Tony Popovich isn't going out in his press conferences and saying a referee is screwing him over because 200 people invaded the pitch last year and someone threw a bucket at the referee. Because that's not an argument that a coach would make after a game because <laughs> you understand once you cop four goals in the game, one of your players goes in for a challenge like that, there's a bit of looking in the mirror you have to do as well. But again, I'm not reading too much into it because knowing the guy and knowing the coach, I definitely think it's something that is directed not to me, not to you, but to those people that rock up to that stadium every week and to those players going to field in a few days once again. Yeah, well, Marco Rudan has today on Monday been issued with a show course notice from FA as well, which is probably the most predictable outcome. He will almost undoubtedly receive some sort of penalty, whether it be fine or suspension. And just saying, with the, all those announcements that came from the FA, Tolga Arslan's ban was they said they feel like four is not enough and they've referred it upwards to the ethics um, board. So... My God, if I wonder what he said if he copped four. I wonder how much Rudan's going to cop and how much that tells us about what Arslan said because, my God, that must have been bad if they feel that four's not enough. Yes, absolutely. We'll, we'll go to the Melbourne City game now. It was, of course, won by Perth Glory, four goals to two. Jacob, the Perth Glory train rolls on, seven points from their last three, only six points outside of finals just quietly. Adam Taggart on song again, super sub. David Williams uh, gets the job done. He got an assist really late. 
a win over the reigning premiers, Perth Glory, they have a, a reasonably fair run home as well in terms of fixtures. Never know. I just want to know what on earth is in the water over there in Perth. Have they found the Fountain of Youth or something? Because Taggart and Williams are playing like they've rolled back the clock 10 years. I mean, they are absolutely on fire at the moment. And that's been a big part of why Perth have played so well. That being said, I did notice some interesting things actually about the way Perth played um, in this game against City compared to how they played the week before. So the week before, I thought that um, Amini in particular was a little bit too static in the centre of midfield. And I saw against City that he was a bit more flexible in that double pivot. Um, he wasn't sitting quite as high. And sometimes in possession, he dropped back into almost sort of a third centre-back. And what that really allowed Perth was the chance to structure themselves really solidly and play out from the back with a, a lot of conviction and a lot of confidence because they had that extra player there. Um, it was also a game, though, that was massively influential in terms of the transitional play and whoever could dominate in transition was the team that was going to to get the goals get the chances and get the win and I think that Perth just looked better in transition especially in a attacking transition than City did they were quick they were decisive on the counter they looked to drive at the heart of the City defense and force the defenders into a decision do I come close you down and potentially miss the tackle give off a foul or let you in behind or do I step back and allow you to take a shot so you know they Perth really forced the issue and it did it did look like an almost different Perth team in terms of mentality to what we saw at the start of the season and Lockie I can kind of see why you were so high on them now because they've they've starting to turn things around and it's quite impressive well the fountain of youth comment you make I think is really interesting because thinking back to Stajic's uh, quotes towards the start of the season they had a very interrupted preseason they only managed those uh, two preseason games against the victory in terms of A-league level opponents. And he, he went off uh, for a little while about how interrupted their preseason has been and the need for them to work their way into the season. And Tonus, they have worked their way into the season. They've put a couple of good games together, which is not enough to re- put them into finals yet. But it definitely does feel like it, it feels like despite all their off-field struggles, that is in terms of the playing group, it's galvanized them together. And for me, personally, I feel like that's been Stadich's biggest success this season. For a club that's been going through all that they've been going through on and off the pitch, off the pitch, obviously, not having an owner, having something fall through, something that Stadich, I feel the way he was talking when he signed, felt that was already confirmed when he signed and kind of gets pulled off from under you and then not being able to keep the goals out to keep this playing group going is superb to be honest because we've seen clubs in much better positions just completely disintegrate after a bad month and to keep these guys going through this time is super impressive and who knows how this season's going to go but it's going to hold them into good stead for the, for next season hopefully with an owner hopefully something to Built towards, but for me right now, they're one of the more watchable sides in the league. You know, you want to watch them play, and really, for a league that's struggling for interest, this is what you want. You want to be able to go to a game and saying, "I'm excited to watch my side play," and it's not something every A League fan can say at the moment. So yeah, big props to what Stadich is doing in Perth right now because it's superb. You know, it's the definition of making the best of a bad situation, isn't it? Absolutely. And Jacob, they clearly love playing in front of their home crowd as well. You can see it in how they play, the energy they bring when they have those Perth supporters in the shed making some noise. They don't always get the biggest numbers, but you know, they were 
in terms of A-League, they're one of the oldest fan bases, you know, a couple of years in the NSL as well before it converted. There is a footballing history there. Yeah, and I think that that crowd support is you know, massively understated when it comes to Perth, simply because of the poor start that they had to the season. But, I mean, we've spoken about South Korea in our Asian Cup podcast and how they like to play, uh, leave things late, sorry. Um, and Perth seemed to be able to to do sort of similar in, in terms of rally, having the, the crowd rally behind them and use that energy and that passion to really propel themselves forwards, um, even, you know, late on into games. I mean, they didn't necessarily need it as much in this one against City where they, they looked the better of the sides and they, they had the lead going in towards the end of the game. But, you know, they, they still managed to get another goal, make it 4-2. And it's one of those things where Perth has always been historically a pretty difficult place for most teams to travel to uh, you know it's obviously it's a long trip and um, typically quite hot weather out there I think it was a hot game as well against City up in the, the mid to high 30s um, but you know you've got to make absolutely the best of the conditions that you're playing in and the fact that they're playing at home they're playing good football uh, and they look strong there that's more than can be said for quite a few teams in this league so you never know what might happen here. There's something to be said for those late, late Saturday night time slots as well. They always turn out to be cracking games at uh, that time of evening. But uh, as we sit here on Monday, I believe we are just over 24 hours from the closure of the A-League transfer deadline as well. It's been very exciting this year. There's been a flurry of activity. So to help summarize it all, I've challenged each of our panelists to come up with uh, one in and one out from their A-League clubs that have caught their eyes so far and I'm going to lead us off with Marco Rojas to the Brisbane Raw. He's obviously a legend of the league both at Wellington, a Johnny Warren medalist at Melbourne Victory of course and thanks to the griddle game I know he actually didn't win the Melbourne Victory best and fairest that year which is crazy. I don't know how that happens but he's obviously amazing. The Kiwi Messi we know of course and uh, given Brisbane Raw struggles as we'll get to a little bit later uh, hopefully he can bring some new life to that team. But Paletti, who do you have as your in? Uh, so I've got Jimmy Jago, uh, the Socceroo, um, also known as James Jago by his uh, uh, formerly, I should say, as you'll uh, see it on the team sheets each week. But yeah, he, um, I think that one caught me by surprise a little bit. You know, the departure of Hansa Saki, uh, you know, came kind of out of the blue and, you know, not necessarily a like-for-like replacement in Jago, but a similar enough replacement that City should be able to do uh, should be able to do good things with Jago once he once he gets rolling. Yeah, I've gone with Stefan Mork, who was just about the only player that showed any fight in the game the other day against the Central Coast Mariners for Adelaide. Obviously, a former captain and a championship winner with Adelaide United, and. Look, I've been on the record multiple times talking about how this Adelaide side is lacking leaders, but leaders by example, players that are in their prime and can go out there and take a group of young players with them and show them that this is how what needs to be done. There's not many players in that team, experienced players that can do that week in, week out. I feel like Stefan Mork is in that period of his career that can be that player. And I feel like he can be the leader in the player to do that right now. And on, I think it was a three, two and a half or three and a half year deal. If he stays for the duration, Adelaide gets him for arguably the peak of his career. If he doesn't, um, Adelaide gets a transfer fee, which they really seem to like doing these days. So it's a good piece of business. It, he does enter a really, really stacked midfield with a lot of bodies there. But again, I think he's good enough to be starting every week, even if it means someone's minutes may be cut. Of course, another member of the football uh, podcasting fraternity as well. Looking forward to the first 
Western United, Adelaide United matchup. That's going to be a fun one for sure. So I chose Josh Rawlins, not because I think that he's going to you know, make a massive difference to Perth season or anything, but simply because it was a, just a massive shock that Perth signed somebody, uh, especially after you know the, the statement came out that they aren't signing anybody, they're not allowed to sign anybody, and all of the you know debate about the outgoings and how the league supposedly forced them to loan out um, Khalifi, and all of a sudden Josh Rawlins comes in on loan, presumably they're not paying a cent for him. Um, and, you know, he comes in, he's a quality player. He's, his career stagnated a little bit. This is a chance for him to really kick back into gear, rejuvenate his career a bit at um, a level that he's familiar with, obviously a club he's familiar with. I think I think a great bit of business. And just it was the most surprising thing for me was was that Perth actually signed somebody. Big for the early runs too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Important Asian Cup coming up for the under 23s very shortly as well. I'll kick us off uh, with the outs, and I've gone with Alexander Popovich uh, going to Korea. Now, I think this is an interesting move because uh, often when we talk about young Australian players going abroad, it's straight to Europe. And, and that's the kind of one way path that we think about in terms of career progression. But as we've seen in the last couple of years, uh, Asia is becoming uh, another pathway for players to go. And it's probably in terms of number one, distance from home, but also in quality perhaps it is a bit more of an intermediate step. So it's interesting to see he's probably one of the few real youngsters that's gone over to one of the Koreas or, the, or Japan's, which is the, the two top leagues in East uh, Asia. So very exciting to see how he gets on. Uh, and Tony, so we're going to leave you for last, I reckon, but we'll go to Jacob next. Uh, so, yeah, I had Ray Marchand as, as my outgoing um i think that that could be um, a big hit for for victory he's not been the likes of hamza saki was for city in terms of importance but he was the sort of player that just did his job every week week in week out rarely put a foot wrong and it's the sort of player where if you're going to push for the title you need that sort of player that you can almost rely on and know that they're going to do their job every week it was also there wasn't a whole lot of fanfare about it it just sort of happened a quick little statement from the club and he's gone. And, you know, for a player that had been at the, the club for a little while and had put in some good performances for them, it was a bit a bit strange to see him go. I'll, I'll put it that way. Paletti? Uh, my pick is uh, Jonathan Aspropodomides uh, all the way back uh, towards the start of the transfer window. Um, this one took me by surprise. And, like, I think if you were a Korean club going to go after a centre-back in the A-League, there's better options than Jonathan Aspropotamides. He's a serviceable player, but I don't think he has that sort of it factor that you expect, right? Like, I've never thought too highly of him during his time at MacArthur as a ball player. Like, I just, I don't know. For me, there would have been better options, but, you know, a good bit of business for MacArthur. And Antonis, we left a big one to you. Joe Gouchy, Aston Villa, anyone? <laughs> Pretty nice. Yeah, so he has had interest from elsewhere, but he's a smart player and a smart person. So he's been very patient. And yeah, sometimes the ex Adelaide United coach gets a job as Aston Villa's under-21 coach and taps the shoulder of the club and says, you should have a look at this guy. So yeah, huge move. And again, shows the importance of these clubs backing their players with longer contracts and financially as well. Because when a club does come knocking, you can say, well, we've got them on a three-year deal. You need to pay for that. And you're justified. And that's why the fee 
was what it was. So yeah, Joe Gauch is not going there to be the third or fourth goalkeeper. He is going to be Emmy Martinez's backup. Yes, the Emmy Martinez, that's World Cup winner. So yeah, it's awesome, you know, seeing one of our own there, right there. And unless something goes really bad for the rest of the season, Aston Villa should also have European football next season. So that's a incredibly busy looking calendar for them for season 24-25. So Gauci should see some minutes, be it in cups, be it who knows how it's going to play out. But yeah, it's just really exciting to have our goalkeeper then. Somehow he was one of three Australian goalkeepers to make Premier League moves in like a week. So yeah, exciting times. And then that fee you mentioned, uh, Fabrizio Romano was reporting, I believe, one and a half million euros or pounds. I could be getting that confused. Uh, sources closer to home in Australia are saying it's a little bit more than that as well and an Australian uh, A-League transfer of records. So uh, exciting all round in that piece of news. Uh, but that's our transfers done and plenty. I think this is where we're saying goodbye to you. We'll see you tomorrow for our dub episode. Yes, I'll be back for the dub. Um, enjoy chatting about the men. All right. Thank you. Now that Plotty's gone, uh, we'll move on to the Newcastle Jets. One all draw with the Melbourne victory. This was really a game of the goalkeepers, to be honest. Uh, Ryan Scott, the thriving Novocastrian, uh, made a handful of really world-class saves uh, early on in the game just before. I'd argue probably his defense let him down a little bit with the opener from Roderick Miranda. And then Paul Izzo Jacob gets the uh, the double double penalty save. Really stupid handball from Damien De Silva, but Izzo comes off uh, clutch twice in a row. First time, went off this line a little bit early, but uh, he sure had a pretty wicked grin on his face when he picked the second one up. Yeah, and that's the sort of stuff from Izzo that Antonis and I were, were used to a few years ago when he was with Adelaide. It, it just such a class goalkeeper. I'm not surprised. I was surprised by Ryan Scott. I haven't rated him too highly so far this season, but you know he looked very, very good, like he said, and made a couple of incredibly important saves um, to keep the Jets in the game. And it was a game, again, where the Jets have sort of turned things around a little bit. And rather than dropping points uh, from good positions, they're fighting to get back into the points. So it's it's a good sign for the Jets that they've got somebody between the sticks now who's got a bit of confidence in them, you know, who's shown what they can do, and that they've got a team that keeps fighting for points. And um, that's a, I think that's going to be massive for the Jets as, as they continue on into this season. A team that for a little while was looking like they might drop down the table, all of a sudden, could they right the ship? I do have something interesting to point out, though, is that um, the victory goal obviously was, was from a corner and it was a header. It's one of only three goals this season to be scored directly from a corner with the head in the front post area. Um, so a lot was made of the Jets' defence and how they didn't necessarily challenge for the ball or anything. But I don't think, in all honesty, that they were even expecting a direct header on goal from that location, just given the the history in this league of, of where the goals have been coming from this season. That's not one of those areas. So, uh, yes, they should have challenged for the ball better, but it's also something that came completely out of the blue. And props to whoever is is organising their set pieces over at Victory because they've clearly identified that as, as a potential way to score and they executed it perfectly. And Tonus, w- watching Melbourne Victory the last month, I feel like I'm Barnaby Joyce watching the replay of the France-Matilda game at the pub that was played a few months ago before the quarterfinal. I feel like I'm watching the same game all over again. They have had four one-all draws in a row. I keep just Daniel Azani, you know, cuts down the right, 
he plays a ball in and then there's like three or four victory players with their hands on their heads. Aren't, like they can't believe that someone hasn't tucked the ball into the net. I feel like I just get deja vu every time that happens because it's happened every single game. We can definitively say they haven't found the answer to life without Bruno Fornaroli. Of course, the good news is they don't have to keep trying. He will be back for the next game. Uh, but the four points from their last four games in commanding positions in some of these games as well, you'd have to be disappointed with that if you were Tony Popovich. That's a brilliant um, analogy to use. <laughs> but yeah, look, and you speak about finding a solution to life after Bruno. I think that was a problem with Bruno too, that Bruno actually got them out of a couple of times. You remember, probably, I think it was the first Wellington match of the year. It was very similar. They just couldn't finish to save their lives. And yeah, Bruno will return and he'll be able to tack a few of those away. But I feel like the problem remains for them. And I was actually speaking to someone the other day. I get real vibes from a couple of seasons ago from that year that they were just very good the whole year. And then Western United just knocked them out of that semi-final. This is the feeling I'm getting from victory, that they're a really good side. That's just missing something. And we're seeing it here that they just can't find that killer touch. And... Like that, Bruno obviously improves that. My issue is I'd like to see at least one more player find a slight, I guess, clinical edge to them to be a bit more comfortable with where they're heading because it's a lot of, it's a big bird to carry for an aging striker who is on top of his game, but you need someone else to be able to pull that off too. Arzani has been excellent, as you mentioned, in creation, I would like to see him, though, just let go of the set pieces. I feel like that Jake Brimmer is a player who excels at that a lot more. He's obviously coming off his own long layoff, but, you know, he's a player that won a Johnny Warren medal primarily because of how excellent he was on the set pieces. So, yeah, I'd like them to be a bit more decisive with that and just say, Daniel, thank you. Do your thing on the wing, but this is Jake Brimmer nine times out of ten. I think you're probably right on that front. And as you say, Daniel Azani has been the prime creator for them on that right wing. I think if they're going to get anyone to be that clinical addition to Bruno up front, it's going to be Nishan Volupale. I think he hasn't quite got the reward in terms of goals and assists this season. I think he has played well. He has had chances in front of goal like we saw on the weekend against the Jets that he hasn't put away, Jacob. But he's been promising and he's probably not suited to that striker position entirely that he's been asked to play the last couple of weeks. He is better out on the left wing. Yeah, he is. And he gets himself into those positions because he's playing on the left wing. So what I mean by that is that when Arzani, you know, cuts back inside and puts that ball across, Victory are struggling to get the right players in the right areas at the right times. The, the way that they set up, it's got a very structured double pivot midfield with Teague clearly as the six and Bremer pushes up a lot higher as the eight. And what that does is it really limits the flexibility in terms of the runs that can be made into the box. And that's why you're seeing Volupele getting into good positions is because he's got that little bit further to travel. Um, it's coming from that back post and he's able to sort of read the defense a little bit more and get himself into a good position. And I think that Victory perhaps need to be a little bit more flexible in their midfield structure to allow players to make runs from a little bit deeper and a little bit later so that they're arriving either to clean it up when nobody can get a foot on it or to be there as as the cutback option rather than just putting it a fa- across the face of the goal where, where nobody can reach it. I also think they 
and it's easier said than done because they're fully stacked up with all those attacking positions. Going into finals, I feel like you have to back, I guess, a like your forwards, or like a group of forwards, pick three, Bruin and who else you want on those wings to kind of get some consistency in game time because especially on the left, we've seen Falami, we've seen Valupale, Economides comes in and out as well. It can't help you find, I guess, that consistency in your rhythm, especially in front of goals when with the constant chopping and changing. So I'd like to see Papa pick, I guess, someone that he is backing. And for me as well, will be the loop play on the left and just live with it for a while. You know, he has to grow into being clinical. You know, no one can just go and do it straight away. You have to grow into it. And yes, he has missed a lot of big chances this season, but he's got everything. You know, he, he looks like a player that's just, that's that 1% away from being what you want him to be. So I'd like to see someone like that backed. That, that sounds like an argument from someone who's watched Carl Viet through about 17 different player combinations in the last two <laughs> months alone. <laughs> uh, so is a Marina one said, I prefer not to speak. <laughs> well, I think for the first time, I've been more looking forward to talking about an Adelaide United game than you two, because this is going to be fun for me at the very least. Central Coast Mariners 4, Adelaide United nil an away win for the Central Coast. They're looking at, they've extended their unbeaten run and their winning run, of course, as well, Jacob. They're, they're arguably the form team of the competition. We know uh, Wellington are solid and they very rarely lose games. But in terms of the outright attacking threat that Central Coast brings seemingly every week now, they are one of the most exciting teams and they are one of the most deadly teams as well. Yeah, and I looked at them a little bit in my uh, tactics piece that I got up on the on the Sanctum before this round, and I spoke a bit about their pressing structure and how they used a trigger press as the ball was being passed uh, laterally across the back line. They'd press and, and try and force the issue there. They didn't do that against Adelaide, which I found quite interesting, but it also made a lot of sense. Adelaide has struggled a lot this year in breaking down structured solid defences, and I think the Central Coast sort of realised that that was the case. And for a lot of the game, they did sit back a little bit more. They weren't as highly aggressive and they didn't have such a high intensity press at times because they knew well, what threat is is Adelaide going to offer on the ball here, especially when your two centre-backs are you know, a, a kid in his first ever professional game and your 36-year-old starting defensive midfielder. So they sort of realised where Adelaide's weaknesses were going to be and structured themselves to have that as an advantage and be able to exploit that. But like you said, they're extremely effective in attack. I think Andrew Torres is one of the the most inspired signings in the league, not just this season, but in quite a few seasons. It's exactly the sort of calibre and and style of player that should be being brought into the league, not 32-year-old, 33-year-olds who are past it. You know, getting in those mid-20-year-olds who still have something to prove, who have a background in with good teams in decent leagues or come from countries or areas that are typically very, very highly skilled in football. And then you can bring them in and because they've got something to prove, they play so well. And I mean, his finishes in, in that game against Adelaide were just top notch. I mean, all of the finishes were. And that's the sort of thing other clubs have got to be looking at. They've got to look at what Mariners have been doing with their transfer policy and go, why aren't we doing the same thing here? Because... They're, they're knocking it out of the park. And you guys know that I'm, I'm quite high on Australian teams competing in Asia and the excitement that they bring. It's really cool, Antonis, uh, that from a Central Coast and a MacArthur point of view as well, they're both heading into these uh, AFC Cup ASEAN zonal semifinals. There you go. I think that's the official term. 
that they're coming up next week and they're you know the Mariners and the Bulls both coming in with good form is exciting that hopefully where one of these teams is going to be able to have a deep run. Yeah, for sure. And look, I think Central Coast is the best team in it. In my opinion, they are run in a very similar way to what Adelaide wants to be run, but they just do everything a lot better. They do signing a lot better, they do scouting a lot better, they do using their players a lot better, they do tactics a lot better. They it's and I can keep going. It's and there's a reason why Adelaide's won one game against them in the past couple of years. And it was the first game of the season when they had two injuries, half a squad turnover and the first early game of the new coach. You know, it's it, there's levels to this and it was very clear and obvious come um, that game and <laughs> there's not much more to say they're a fantastic side and Adelaide just got found out completely and again I can praise Angel Torres all day and what a fantastic signing because now he's either going to be a fantastic player for them or they're going to get a very good fee for him so win win and it's not the first time they've done it being here in South Australia, I also know how deeply they scout South Australia. You know, in the last couple of years, you didn't know how many players from are here that are not in the Adelaide United system have gone to Central Coast and trialed. Brian Kaltak, championship winning centre-back, was playing for an NPL club here before. So you can just see how deep these networks run. It's an extremely well-run club. And you see championship teams Adelaide in the past and other clubs as well just completely fall apart after a championship in a year because people will come and take stuff away from you because that's the nature of the league. This is a club confident that, yes, we are in a situation where we are not the biggest spenders, but they are confident in what they're doing in their systems. And, you know, I cannot praise them enough because when you think of an A-League club, that is what an A-League club should be like. Regardless of your budget, that's the model. And, yeah, I cannot speak about them highly enough. And I hope they go and win it again this year, to be honest with you. Jacob, Antonis brings up the first game of the season after the Mariners had had all this turnover. Of course, this window has been of high turnover for Adelaide as well. Joe Gauchi, Popovich, and there's a couple of other names as well, including another reserve goalkeeper. You know, that's not even to mention Craig Goodwin that you lost at the start of the year. Does, does that turnover almost close the door on any significant turnaround in the back end of the year? Absolutely. I'll give you a nice anecdote from after the game that I think perfectly sums things up. I'm walking back to my car and um, there's this, this group of young lads there and they, they hadn't gone to the game. They were just hanging around and uh, they see me wearing my Adelaide United shirt and they go, how much did we lose by? It's not what was the score, it's how much did we lose by? <laughs> and I think that that perfectly sort of sums up sort of the ambivalent nature of, of Reds fans at the moment in that we sort of have to cut our losses and go, this is, we're not going to compete for anything this season. We've got massive turnovers. We've brought Stefan Walken, I think is a great bit of business, but it's not enough to fix the holes that we have in the squad to bring in another central midfielder. So it's one of those things where I, I try to be the person who looks at things analytically, looks at the tactics, tries tries to rationalise things, but I just can't. I can't see how this team can have any sort of aspirations with the squad, the tactics, the systems, the structures, everything that they have at the moment. It, there's, there's no way they're going to have success this year, next year. We don't know what any plans are. 
You know, this this is a club that at the start of the season said, you know, we take pride in transparency. But where's that now? You know, we've not had any. It's very easy to come out and say things are going great when things are going great. But it's really telling that everybody is silent now that we've had tons of outgoings. We're not playing good football. We're losing lots of games and things look pretty bleak. Uh, let me touch on that as well, because there's a bit there. I'm not as bleak on the just because of the name. I think we're speaking about this before we started, Jacob, about just the nature of this league. I think whatever happens from here at the end of the season, I see Adelaide either one game out of finals or one game in finals. Um, I think there might still be some business to be done. I know Adelaide's looking at a couple of players. God knows if anything will come of that because as we're speaking... It's two days TikTok, left. <laughs> but yeah. There are in positions that would be useful, but again, it's useless talking about it if it's not completed. Just looking at how this squad is constructed, it screams of a team that has not had a football director for a year. And guess what? Adelaide and I didn't have a football director for a year, did they? Marius Zanen has only been promoted to that, I think, just for the start of this season. So it's obviously not on him, and it's his first job of that nature. So he, it is a work in progress. But you cannot be a serious club I'm sorry, without having something like that for a year. You just cannot. You know, how can you operate and how can you say, oh, that we are promoting the next generation of young players when, in my eyes, it seems you're setting them up to fail. And in the press conferences, Carl mentions about, oh, other players need to be leaders as well. Well, where are they? You know, you've got young players and... I'm sure, I don't know if you saw the comment Carl made about, oh, they need to really focus like Joe did. Yeah, that's fine. Joe had the drive. But we're talking about 16 and 17-year-olds in the world of social media and all that stuff as well. You need leaders there. This is your job. You know, if you can't do the job, something's obviously missing and you need to have a look in the mirror. We'll, we'll rattle off the last couple of games now. Brisbane Raw won, Wellington Phoenix won. How good did the grass look at Suncorp Stadium, by the way? Oh, shiny surface. We'd love to see it. Yeah, it doesn't look like a war zone, so that's a plus. <laughs> <laughs> well, but a familiar Wellington performance though and Tonus, but Brisbane did come hard at the end. The, the Phoenix had the quality chances. Brisbane had the numbers of them. Krayev capped off a nice move, but... Brisbane in the last 30 minutes were coming pretty hard and it was Corey Brown in the end who rescued a point for the Raw. Yeah, it's exactly as you said it. It's It was the performance you expected from Wellington. I just would have liked to see them kick on a little bit after getting that goal because it felt like it was sort of coming. But after he went in, it kind of felt like that Wellington was holding out for that result. And, you know, shout out to Brisbane because especially at the beginning of the game, they looked very positive. It was like stuff we haven't seen since Ross was there, which was like a lifetime ago, to <laughs> be does. honest. So it was good to see them be a bit more positive about how they approached the game. And yeah, a big point for them. And does this not set up now a really good game in Wellington on a public holiday for them there against the Central Coast? Because that's got all the makings for a match of the season. I wish everyone would give us a day off for that. Yeah, well, at 2 p.m. on the eastern coast of Australia on a Tuesday is definitely an interesting time for a fixture. But uh, it's going to be a good watch uh, if you can spare the uh, the lunch hour, Antonis. No, it's definitely getting the replay. Jacob, uh, Antonis brings up an interesting point. Like Wellington 
their, their style all year has been to lock games down. And that's not necessarily meaning to sit back or be defensive as such, but definitely to be more careful on the ball and, and prioritize the three points. I guess it's just one of those things where playing that way gets you the wins from winning positions maybe 80% of the time. And this is just one of the 20% that you're just going to accept. You're going to, you're going to miss out on every once in a while. And it was Brisbane who got them undone. Yeah, I don't think that they even played necessarily particularly negatively. I mean, they did go out with three at the back in possession, but I think that that was more to sort of stabilise their build-up play than anything. It wasn't to make sure that they had a man back at all times or anything. It was just that extra passing option in the build-up. They had a lot of heavy emphasis on you know direct play, working the ball out wide like we've seen using the pace of some of their players. And yeah, I think that they, they weren't necessarily negative. I think what it was that did them in at the end of the day was just passive static defending and uh, that sort of comes when you've been under pressure for a, a period of time five ten minutes and you're starting to get a little bit worn down and you those little mental mistakes creep in and that's where Brisbane's goal came from was just the the Phoenix players standing around in the box waiting for the ball to come in they didn't try and, and stop that that cross from happening they didn't really look to challenge the ball when it did get into the box they just looked a little bit tired and a little bit fed up of having to face a bit of a relentless attack from Brisbane towards the, the back end of that game and um, you know I, I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago that passive defending is something that I've seen a lot in the league this season that I haven't noticed before and I can't 100% pinpoint what it is that's causing it but I'm seeing a lot of teams having these issues particularly in the heart of defense with their sense of acts who they're either over committing and trying to do too much or they're not doing anywhere near enough and in the case of the Phoenix in this game it was that they just weren't doing anywhere near enough and they really let Brisbane uh, get that goal back. Finally, last game of the week Western United to Sydney FC 2 another game played down in Tasmania Jacob, this will definitely feel like points dropped by Sydney. They were in a two-goal lead and conceded two goals to Western United to end up as a draw in such a tight race for finals positions, especially where they are in that sixth, seventh kind of bracket. You can't afford to be dropping points like that against Western United. No, and Western will be incredibly happy with that result, I'm sure, to, to nab a point there. And for once this season, they're actually converting the chances that they're they're creating, which is nice to see from them. I like the way that they played as well. They didn't try and overcomplicate things. They just went, how are we going to create a mass amount of chances here? So they played a lot of very direct football. Um, the goalkeeper with a lot of long distribution out to the wingers immediately as quickly as they could to, to try and hit Sydney on the break. Lots of line breaking passes, lots of runs in behind. And I think that that sort of attack really suits the style of, of football that Western are looking to play and suits the players that they do have. And we saw Noah Botic had a fantastic game, obviously had a goal, had the assist for, for Garuccio as well. And it was because of his ability to get in behind the Sydney defensive line, receive that ball and then do things with it that was why he was so um, effective but I do think that we've seen uh, another continued issue for Weston here which is their defensive weaknesses in the air they just don't challenge for the ball well enough in the air and uh, Antonis mentioned him last week or the week before it was is Jacob Tratt who just has not offered any anywhere near enough reliability in the air for for Western United and they conceded another header here today or uh, well, not today but you know what I mean and um, it's, it's something that they're going to have to address because if you're going to keep shipping goals it's and it's it's not like it's a hidden secret it's happening consistently that they are conceding headed goals somebody needs to go in and go what are we doing here guys come on like let's let's sort this out because they could have you know held Sydney to one goal 
they they ship two, they get that win, and and it's a very different story that we're having. But I think they will be happy with uh, with the, the the one point, and Sydney will be particularly displeased that they let Western get back into it. Yeah, you brought up Noah Botic, and I think that performance was definitely one worth highlighting. Got his goal and provided the assist for Grucho as well. We talked about Tommy Waddingham uh, recently at Brisbane Raw, one of these young Australian strikers that has in the past probably not got opportunity at A-League level because of, of the league's focus on uh, international strikers usually playing up front. If we, if we want to produce Australian strikers, they have to be given opportunity, right? And Tommy Waddingham and Noah Bottage have come in and not set the world alight, but they've got minutes under their belt. And, you know, for Bottage, hopefully he, he's continues his little bit of form and with a very important uh, under-23 Asian Cup that doubles as a w- Olympic qualifiers coming up soon, as we've already mentioned. Um, hopefully, yeah, he can keep going in his stride. But they are all the games that we're covering this week. So we'll cap off this episode with our little predictions game. Again, a theme of doing absolutely horribly. We've all gone for the <laughs> stars here. We, we've shot for the moon and we haven't landed among the stars. We've, we've fallen back on our faces, back on earth. Uh, some of the highlights... Uh, Poletti, to be fair to them, went for another out there one saying that MacArthur would break their home attendance record. Did we actually get an attendance record or attendance number from that game? And Tonus, you can do a Google while I keep rattling them off. Christian went for a Perth Glory draw against Melbourne City, which to be fair is probably one of the closer ones because they did win. Uh, not like Ross saying that Economides would score a goal. Which, which I think we all thought that was probably the one that was most likely to happen. Like it, just in terms of pure pure odds, somebody scores a goal. Yeah, that's probably going to happen. But no, nah. <laughs> no. Uh, I said Adelaide would beat Central Coast, so I look like an idiot as well. <laughs> uh, Kev said that Brisbane would beat Wellington and Victory would get back to top spot. That didn't happen. Chris did say Newcastle to beat Victory, which a draw probably puts him in the running as well. I'll give him that because they had a penalty save too. They yeah. did, so they were very close. I was nowhere near with mine. <laughs> no, Damien McLaren brace in a 2-1 win. That's further away than uh, Christian. And then Antonis, uh, you said six goals in the Adelaide Central Coast game. They got four, so that's perhaps not far away either. <laughs> so what are we thinking here? Maybe the Chris, Newcastle to beat victory. Three, they came very yeah. close. Yeah, yeah. All right, three votes to Chris. Somehow this is better than last week because I won. Somehow. <laughs> well, we'll, wait, we'll get on to this week's picks in a moment because I think there's a very interesting theme with those as well. By the way, no attendance yet. No attendance. All right, we'll, we'll put a provisional flag on Paletti's and we can maybe edit this at a later date. But um, I reckon two votes Christian for the Perth Glory draw against City. Yep. And then I reckon Antonis scrapes one because it was a high-scoring game. <laughs> Look at me. All right, three votes Chris, two votes Christian, one vote Antonis. Yeah. This week, uh, Antonis, I'll let you lead us off, but it's a very funny one, this. <laughs> um, I can't remember the exact words I, swear I said, it, but I think that Carl Viet once again swings his famous axe and the side changes massively, especially if his post-match comments were anything to go by. But along with all these lovely new faces that we'll see in the team against Perth, I think we'll see them set up in a different way once again. I think we're going to go to a more familiar formation that we've seen with Carvey in recent times. That's just a guess. I'm not going to stay solid on that, but definitely we're going to see a lot of new faces. And I think that Adelaide beats Perth. I think, yeah, it's a chaos club. And yeah, we'll thrive in chaos and we'll beat Perth. So... 
See, I tried this he'll change formations thing a couple of weeks ago, and it was the one week he didn't change no, it. This, so. this is, look, this is players changing the players, then the win, then all the way down here's the formation. That's my <laughs> so the players and the win, and then yeah, the formation may happen too. But yeah, it's definitely my least confident take from the three. All right. Well, some of the absentees, Christian saying Western United to beat Wellington, which is another out there one. Paletti wants 22 goals across six games, which is pretty on par. So I've gone for a different approach. We've got, I reckon we've been going too high with our, with our bars. So I've said that at least one team from Melbourne will get a win. <laughs> and if that doesn't happen, well, then I deserve to lose. Cause, uh, you know what? Uh, we should have gone out and say a referee is going to come out and say there's a massive stigma attached to his club. <laughs> <laughs> you can have bonus points for that one. Jacob, what's yours? So mine kind of plays into Antonis is it a little bit. But if his comes off, mine might do as well. I've said that Kito will be dropped from the starting 11 and Mork will be given the armband. Now, whether more could be given the armband, I don't think that'll happen. But if it does, I'm I'm guaranteed the three points. All right, there. We, we need a rule that like if you score votes one week, you're not allowed to make predictions about your own club the, the week after. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't want to hear, I don't want to keep hearing Carl Viet things on the on the prediction section. Well, I have I haven't officially scored any points in this, this <laughs> prediction game, so I'll consider it from next week. But I'm sticking with mine. Yeah. But just saying that, I do think if. Kito's drop, which I don't know. Oh, he might be. Who knows? For Javi Lothar's, fingers crossed. Um, if that happens, I reckon Halloran will have the armband. But I reckon stay tuned because next year I would not be surprised if Stefan Walks got the armband. Well, we've uh, Chris, uh, Kev, and Ross have uh, not beaten the, uh, the siren today. But if they get in before the weekend on the first game, we'll catch you up next week and we we'll see how we go. But that will do on a rather long episode of the A Leagues of Our Own podcast. But plenty of to talk about off the top, of yeah, course, with thanks, Marco Adelaide United. Yeah, we'll we'll <laughs> see how the and Adelaide United. I wonder if uh, the listeners have heard all of that conversation, or some of it's left on the cutting room floor. We'll have to see. Uh, but thank you all very much for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday for our dub review i will see you then goodbye apologies